Hello, and welcome to the Accountability Coach Podcast, where we discuss proven business success principles related to helping you make more money and work less so you can enjoy having your ideal business and your ideal life. This is Ann Backrack. Today, we have a special guest with us who is going to share her valuable insight and ideas about helping you as a high achiever to get to the bottom of health issues like burnout or feeling stuck in hitting health goals so you can be as healthy as possible, which helps you be in the best position to achieve your goals and maybe even accelerate the achievement of your goals. Krista Elza graduated with a Bachelor's of Science in Nursing in 2000. She was immediately drawn to emergency medicine and was a trauma nurse for eight years. Krista earned her master's degree in nursing in 2018 and is a board-certified nurse practitioner in family practice medicine. She wanted a better way to help people achieve lasting health results. With that vision in mind, Krista began her journey with the School of Applied Functional Medicine, learning the root cause approach to personalized healthcare. Now, as a functional medicine expert, Krista specializes in investigating underlying factors of fatigue, hormone balance, thyroid issues, digestive issues, and so much more. Krista uses breakthrough diagnostic testing that is rarely done in conventional settings to uncover the hidden causes of why people feel the way they feel. Welcome, Krista. I appreciate you joining us. Hi, Anne. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and have a chat. Yeah, me too. Let's start with a very big general question, really about the importance of us learning the root causes of our health issues that we may or may not even know we have, and then the impact it has on us doing our job every day and being the best that we can be. So let's say, you know, we've been feeling tired or we just don't feel 100%. What do we do? Do we pay attention to those things and how do we go from there? Yes. Well, yes, that is a giant, giant question. And we'll just kind of tease this out a little bit. I think first and foremost, when you feel tired, when you feel not like yourself, like you can't do the things that you used to do, that's a signal, right? So it's it's something to pay attention to. It's not just a nuisance to get rid of somehow, right? I mean, yes, we want to get rid of it, but we want to explore why we have that to begin with. And oftentimes the first answers are not the sexy answers, right? It's not like the latest medication or supplement or whatever. It's really getting back to basics. A lot of people don't want to hear this because sometimes the things that you hear and you're like, yeah, 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 water, yeah, 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 sleep. Those are oftentimes uh, the lifestyle changes that take the most effort because we get into habits and patterns in our lifestyle that just aren't conducive to health. Particularly as you reach your mid 30s or later, your body just doesn't have the same uh, compensatory mechanisms as they did in your teens and 20s, right? So we just have to pay more attention to some of these foundational things. And so I always check in with my clients uh, there. So, how much water are you drinking? And, you know, it really should be close to 60 to 90 ounces a day. If you really track that, a lot of people don't do that. Um, so, that's important. Sleep. Are you prioritizing sleep? If you're having trouble sleeping, why? Right. So we need to prioritize sleep. I would say on average, people need to have a good quality amount of seven hours and then moving your body. Are you sitting at the desk all day? Are you actually moving your body? Are you doing, you know, in, uh, intentional movement of your body, not just walking from uh, one room to the office to the next or whatever, like intentional exercise, intentional moving your body? 
Are you taking deep breaths throughout the day? And how are you eating? Right. Like if you really monitor what you're taking in every day, is most of it coming from nutritious food? So that's the very beginning of trying to unwind and heal the parts that are really causing those symptoms that are, are aggravating. Yeah, I know that was a big question. And I love that how you unpacked that with, you know, drinking water, sleep, moving our body, breath work and just eating nutritious foods, because a lot of times you're right, we get in these habits and we're just not paying attention to any of those things. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's really important. So let's say that, you know, we're not feeling 100 percent. So we go to a doctor. So mm -hmm. why don't more doctors do more diagnostic testing, you know, typically rarely not done in conventional settings to help uncover the causes of why we're feeling the way we're feeling? Yeah, this is an amazing question because this is really what drove me into functional medicine, which is the root cause medicine. So studying that, um, you know, I was trained in the Western model as a nurse practitioner and I come, you know, you realize, wow, I'm not really helping these people because they're coming back uh, every three months or whatever with the same issue or the underlying is still not not resolved. So for instance, I'm not sleeping well. Okay, great. Here's a sleeping pill. My blood pressure's high. Okay, great. Here's something for blood pressure. But why are these things happening? And, you know, it's just a reflection, uh, the way that we are, it's just a reflection of our healthcare model that we just don't have a lot of time in that setting to sit and really, you know, treat this patient as N equals one. This is an individual human being. And their reason for blood pressure and insomnia is different than the next person. Right. But that takes time to kind of uh, develop a relationship and have conversation around. And so the reason I do what I do is to really get to the why are you as an individual having these issues? And so it does. It takes more time. There's also a not you know, there's not a lot of money in uh, solving the problem. Right. Uh, if you look at the big picture with pharma with insurance and things like that, there's more money, obviously, if you're sick, there's more money if, if you're buying a prescription medication. And so it's it's sad, but it's true. Even if the individual practitioner does, you know, they don't have any ill intent. It's just how we're trained. Right. And it's just the protocols that are set in place. But if you really step back as a provider and you look at someone and say, what's going on? How are your relationships? Because relationships, good, strong, healthy relationships are very healing for people, right? So oftentimes when people have high blood pressure or they're not able to sleep or they're gaining weight because they're they're consuming foods that aren't in alignment with what their body needs, we can trace it back to what is your home environment? What are your work relationships like, right? But that takes time to have a conversation and, and developing trust with a person to really get there. And when we can kind of unwind these pieces, I find that we can really taper down on some of these medications because now, they're more in a state of rest and digest rather than fight or flight, right? Because the thoughts really affect our body in terms of how our body is responding to our environment. So true. So true. What would be your recommendation on how do we get more tests done that could help our current doctor maybe figure out what's wrong with me? or at least mm -hmm. come to some different conclusion or better conclusion, or how do we find a better doctor that yeah. we yeah. should use so that we can perform optimally? Yes. 
That's a really great question because it implies that the patient is the CEO of their health, right? Because you are. So you really, you know, one of my mottos that I say is empowered health is your superpower. Because when you feel like you understand your body a bit better, you're not you're no longer giving power to, you know, your doctor, your primary care doctor, your specialist, whatever to say you don't know anything and this is what you need to take. Right. So when you take some of that power back and and inherently know like, hey, I know that my body can heal, like help me guide me through this is really a, a place of, of empowerment. And it really ultimately is our responsibility to age gracefully, to grow um, in our knowledge of how we can how we can support our body. Um, so as far as I think the first step is understanding or making the decision that you are going to find a provider that's in an alignment with what you want for your body, right? And how you want to be cared for and guided. Somebody like me, I'm a virtual practitioner, so I work with people all over the country. Um, and I'm not alone in that. There's quite a few practitioners that study functional medicine or integrative medicine that, that you can you know, work with even outside of your local area. But finding a provider who will take the time to have conversation with you. And I think if you show up, hey, I'm struggling with sleep. And I think this is why. Like, I'm really struggling with, you know, relationships or just stress management. Right. So, yes, I'll take maybe a sleeping pill. But in the meantime, let's work on these other things. So hopefully I'm not on it very long. And then just really taking into account what's available to you. There are ways to learn breath work. There's ways to go to yoga, right? Like there's ways to do some stress management that can really help you throughout the day. And then as far as testing goes, if someone is trained, if a doctor is trained in how to read lab work, just straight blood work in a way that's, it's important to understand that our ranges are average, right? So the average American has, let's say, uh, liver enzymes that look between this range and this range, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's healthy, right? So finding a practitioner that also acknowledges there's optimal ranges and then there's average ranges. And I always strive to uh, share with my patients and clients that there is an optimal range and uh, kind of as a coach, you know, like, let's get this better. You, you can do better, right? The other thing that I find, especially for women, I would definitely push for a very thorough thyroid panel. Um, I, I hear this all the time and it's very common to only get um, maybe a TSH for your thyroid. It's really important to ask for a TSH, a T4 and a T3 at a minimum and maybe thyroid antibodies. And the reason I say this is particularly for women, thyroid can be an issue when it comes to depression, constipation, weight gain, uh, just overall sluggishness. And if you're just checking TSH, which is the most common, you're not really getting the full picture of your thyroid health. And so of all the labs, I would say definitely uh, pressure your uh, practitioner to go ahead and order those and really take a look at that and make sure that your thyroid is healthy. Super good points. Now, a lot of times for me anyway, if a doctor would say, well, I can prescribe this drug, I'd say, whoa, let's back up. I don't want to take any drugs if I don't have to. So what mm -hmm. else do you have? What are my other options? Is that a good approach? Well, that's a really general question. It depends on what it is, right? I mean, if your cholesterol is sky high, you may need some medicine, you know, some prescription intervention until you change your lifestyle in a way that it's no longer, a, you know, an acute threat. Right. Um, so it really depends on what we're talking about. Let's say we're talking about an antidepressant and you're not suicidal. OK, you're just you've got some low simmering depression. 
and you say, I, I'm okay without that, what else can I do? So that's that's kind of a more like less life-threatening, um, let's say, situation for a prescription. You know, in that, I would really ask, and if you know, and ask your practitioner, hey, if you don't know how to help me with this, who can you recommend me to? Right. So let me just really dive into moving my body more and doing some uh, different mindset exercises and breath work and things like that and really address relationship issues to move through this depression. So that's an example of where, yeah, stand up for yourself and say, I'm I want to explore for myself a different avenue other than medications right now. And then other things, you know, if you really let's go back to the cholesterol, if your cholesterol is super high and, and they're viewing that as a, an actual threat. My goal then is to be on this medication no longer than six months. So what can I do in the meantime so that we can really cut this in half or eliminate it as soon as possible? Because I'm going to change my lifestyle. I'm going to take control over what I can take control over and shift this in my body. So I no longer need this medication. That's brilliant. I love that. That's really good. A lot of times we have issues because we have food sensitivities. So we have inflammation Mm -hmm. in our gut. There's always a lot of gut issues that I hear a lot about anyway. And it comes from food sensitivities, but we don't necessarily feel bad from Mm -hmm. what we're eating. So what's the best way for us to get tested for food sensitivities and inflammation that can be causing our gut issues? Yeah, this is awesome because it is, you know, the gut uh, really is a huge source of systemic inflammation. And if you have an autoimmune disorder of any kind, let's say rheumatoid arthritis or Hashimoto's thyroiditis or uh, lupus or any of these things, the gut is where you really want to focus to taper those uh medications that maybe you're on or even completely eliminate it when you when you heal the gut. And the reason is uh, when we have dysfunction in our gut, we are more likely to have food sensitivities in the form of maybe anxiety or brain fog or bloating and actual GI distress. But what happens is when we are exposed to processed foods the way that we are, um, antibiotics, long term birth control pills, alcohol, These things, just that's just to name a few, really can wreak havoc on the gut lining itself. And when we lose that protective barrier within our gut lining, then we lose kind of that first line of immunity in in that space. And the I I like to call it like like if if you can visualize a fence, some of the fence posts get knocked down. And when that happens, your body, the systemic body, is now exposed to the contents inside the gut, particularly um, bacterial parts. And when that enters our systemic bloodstream, the tissue surrounding it, that causes inflammation and that revs up our immune system. And so that inflammation can lead to a host of symptoms that you may not even be directly relating to a gut source, right? So like, like I said, autoimmune, fatigue, brain fog, even weight gain. So Where I test particularly um, for gut health itself is a GI map. It's a stool test you mail out to the company. We get the results and it can tell us kind of the how what is the amount of healthy bacteria versus opportunistic bacteria also tells us the level of how many not necessarily exactly how many fence posts are down, but what's the level of breakdown in that gut lining based on some protein markers. We can see that. So that can be really insightful to tell us, hmm, we need to really clear up the environment in your gut. And that can be done with different foods, 
that can be done with different herbs that can really help die off some of the opportunistic bacteria. And then there's other herbs that can really help heal and seal up that gut lining again. As far as food sensitivities go, as a general rule, food sensitivities in general will decrease as we heal the gut. But at the beginning, I like to pair that GI map also with another food sensitivity test, a blood test. And that kind of just tells us the range and you know level of sensitivity we're seeing with particular foods. It'll test for like 170 different foods, even medications and dyes and things like that. Um, and it's helpful at that moment to remove everything that we see you're sensitive to as we're healing the gut. And then we slowly bring those foods back in. Now, outside of doing testing, I would say just focusing on, you know, eliminating processed foods and sugars and alcohol and caffeine for some people. And I know I know that can be a lot. But when you just start to, um, you know, for what, you know, choose one thing, get rid of processed foods for, let's say, uh, a full month. Right. You're just going to focus on organic, healthy foods that don't come from a box or a bag. And that can be a challenge sometimes with a busy schedule. But when you eliminate those things, you're automatically starting to feed good, healthy bacteria that can start that healing process. There's also some herbs that you can get over the counter very easily, things like slippery elm, uh, marshmallow root, zinc carnosine. Those herbs can help to heal and seal the gut lining as well. And so outside of testing, I would say those are the, the things you can primarily do for yourself to kind of experiment like, wow, OK, a month later, I feel a lot better. And oftentimes we don't know how bad we feel until we feel better. And then we're like, oh, I actually feel a lot better. My digestion is better. My brain's clearer. Uh, I feel less, you know, achy in the joints. And uh, the biggest culprits are sugar, gluten, and alcohol. Wow. That's good to know that you can actually build back the lining. Oh, yeah. That, it's, you know, has gone yeah. down. That's really good mm -hmm. to know. So, okay, if this has gone away because I've, done some damage to it, even maybe without knowing, of course, that I can mm -hmm. then heal my gut lining again to help it be the protection that it needs. So I reduce my inflammation. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and like I said, eating foods that really feed good bacteria. We have a, a symbiotic relationship with quite a few um, to the tune of millions of bacteria in our gut lining. And some of the bacteria eat what you eat. And then they produce mucus that helps to keep our gut lining, uh, that immunity level thick, right? And so it's, it's really amazing how we have this relationship with good bacteria. But on the flip side, if you have a lot of bad bacteria, let's say because you were on a round of antibiotics and that's really destroyed some of the good bacteria, then we have opportunistic bacteria that kind of overtake and those can be more destructive to the gut lining. And you're not going to really know that, that ratio unless you test. But what you can do is just start to really feed and fuel the good bacteria. So that can be good. That can be done with obviously nutrition, uh, fiber rich vegetables, things like that, eliminating those processed foods that I mentioned, but then also even adding a probiotic that just helps proliferate the good bacteria. Wow. I feel like we could talk about this for an hour. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Gut health is like a whole a whole thing. And it's really fascinating. Really amazing that our body has that ability and, and how it can affect everything else. I mean, it can affect your thyroid health and it affects your, like I mentioned, autoimmune and it affects uh, so many things just by healing the gut. Wow. You know, I see a lot of times advertisements for products to help with insulin resistance. So mm -hmm. how do we know if we have insulin resistance issues and what does it even mean? Oh, I love this question. <laughs> Metabolic health is 
probably the most uh, important focus uh, for your body because it does affect everything and, and it affects gut health as well. So insulin resistance. So let's just back up really quickly. Um, insulin is a hormone that's released from your pancreas when you eat food um, and carbohydrates, i.e. processed foods, sugars, breads, uh, fruits, vegetables. Those uh, tend to, in different amounts, obviously processed foods are, and sugars are, you know, spike this insulin way more than vegetables. But carbohydrates, as a general rule, it, call on, they spike your blood sugar more. And so that requires the pancreas to push out more insulin. Foods like proteins, like meats, eggs, um, fats, like avocado oil, nuts, seeds, they impact the blood sugar less to a less spike of a degree, right? So I always say if you're going to eat carbs, include a protein or a fat because that helps blunt some of that spike in your blood sugar. So when you eat, let's say you wake up in the morning and you have a bowl of oatmeal, which is high carb, and then at lunch you're running through a drive-through that includes bread, um, and then at dinner you're eating some kind of fried food. I know that's an extreme example, but let's just say that's happening because a lot of people eat like that then your insulin levels have spiked multiple times throughout the day. And the job of insulin is to push that glucose, that blood sugar into safe areas, whether it's your liver, your muscle or into fat stores. Now, over time and years of doing this, which a lot of people eat like this for a long time, the cells are kind of maxed out, like they just can't take any more. And so that the the pancreas then is like, ah, I got to push more insulin out. Right. And so now those cells have become what we call insulin resistant. They're packed to the gills. They just cannot take any more. And eventually that turns into diabetes where the, the pancreas can no longer keep up with the amount of blood sugar. And so we have a problem. We have chronic high blood sugar. But let's back up to just insulin resistance. We have a lot of power and control via lifestyle to reverse this. And the way that you can really test it, now your, your primary care doctor usually checks a fasting glucose. Um, that's just your blood, blood sugar at that moment before you've eaten anything that morning. So you go in at 8 a.m., you check your blood. They'll usually look at uh, a fasting glucose. You may even look at an A1C, which is an average of, it can kind of tell us the average over the past three months, how your blood sugars have been running. Okay, so those are the typical ones. And if those are high, then they'll say, oh, you're pre-diabetic, you've got insulin resistance, or they'll say you're full-on diabetic. But what I like to look at is a fasting insulin. And because that one tells us, let's say your glucose looks okay, but how hard is your body working? Remember I told you there's a level before it breaks loose, right? Before the dam breaks and they're like, I can't do it anymore. How hard is your body working to keep that decent blood glucose? So if we look at that number, we see what, what your fasting insulin is. Even if you haven't eaten that day, how hard is it still working? That gives us, an even earlier look at how your body is metabolically able to use carbohydrates, fats, and all that for fuel, okay? So that's the lab that I would ask. Most practitioners will not do that unless you ask specifically. So a fasting insulin can give you a lot of information. I like that number to be around four. And if you see it, it's 10, it's 11. That means your body's working really hard to keep that blood sugar down. And so what can you do? That's where you really want to start to focus on, again, the same things that heal your gut, unprocessed foods, really, you know, focusing on understanding what a carbohydrate is versus a protein versus a fat. So educating yourself on that, 
And then building your meals around that with the main focus being on a healthy protein, a healthy fat, and carbohydrates being um, less of the major component of your meal, particularly processed, you know, breads, pastas, sugars, sodas. All of those things really impact your health. And, you know, in your 20s, it doesn't have as much of an impact. And then you hit your mid-30s and beyond, and you're like, wow, why am I gaining weight? Why do I have the brain fog? Why, why is it so hard to to maintain my weight or, or whatever, or my hormones are off, right? Because our body's a symphony of hormones. And so insulin does impact other hormones in our body. And so I, I know that's kind of a long explanation, but one pill is not going to heal your metabolism. A lot of it is a life, like diabetes, type two diabetes is generally a lifestyle disease. And that's something you have complete control over. And one more point I wanna make with this, when we eat and our blood sugar rises, our muscles love glucose. A lot of the glucose is stored in our muscles. And so my recommendation is to move, go on walks. After a meal, go on even, you know, even a 10 minute walk. It's really using those big muscles in our body and our muscles love to utilize glucose. So it's a great way to help stabilize and utilize glucose in a healthy way so that our, our pancreas is putting out less insulin to do that job. This is all great, great information that really can help us just help our bodies, which mm -hmm. then helps us perform better. So mm -hmm. a lot of times, like you said, we don't really even realize there's things that are wrong until we take things out or switch things up and then you mm -hmm. feel better and then you're performing better. Right. Yeah. A lot of times it's just having the knowledge of what to do and then you can really be empowered and taking care of yourself and so that you don't rely on medications as much. Sounds great. Now, as we all have heard, <laughs> our metabolism slows as we get older. So what are some things that we can do that would help boost our metabolism? Yeah, so when we go all the way down to the cellular level and then the cell and then in, inside that cell, um, the you know, as we age, our cells change. And a lot of times that um, a lot of the symptoms that we're feeling is a reflection of mitochondrial health. And the mitochondria are uh, basically our powerhouse of within the cell. If you remember back in, in science, you kind of learn the parts of the cells, right? Well, we have a lot of mitochondria actually in each cell, and that is that's a little powerhouse that produces ATP, which is our currency for energy. And so, to have a strong, robust metabolism, we need to have good, strong, healthy mitochondria. And so, it's really just getting back to supporting our body in a way that then supports the cells, and that's through uh, all of those lifestyle things that I have mentioned, weightlifting. That, that's a very broad term, but, you know, resistance training, right? So using our muscles that are the really a, a big portion of our mitochondria live in our muscle cells. And so we want to have really good, strong muscle mass. And so I know it can be hard to do any kind of physical activity if you've got, you know, really a busy, busy life, busy job, but, but prioritizing muscle mass, prioritizing muscle growth with healthy proteins and resistance training is a really great way to keep that metabolism going. Because like I said, glucose loves to be utilized in the muscle and we want to maintain our strength as we age, right? It's kind of our armor over the bones and, and all of that as we age. And you want to take advantage of that when you still have 
more robust uh, hormones that promote muscle growth. So between ages of 30 and 50, you want to really hone in on like taking advantage of having those good hormones, right? So that as you age, you have a good foundation of muscular health. Other things that you could explore and intermittent fasting can be really powerful. It's not for everybody, but I would say exploring maybe only eating in a 10 hour window or an eight hour window can be helpful because that fasting state can, it's kind of a, it's, it's called horm hormetic stress, right? So it's stress, but it's not tipping the, it's not tipping the scales to, to, to too much, but it can stimulate the body to say, Ooh, we need to be more robust because food isn't as, you know, it's, it's not everywhere like we thought it was. And so the cells then become a bit more robust and efficient. Um, so exploring some of that can be helpful. And then, getting good sleep because our body uses that sleeping time to kind of clean house. So again, this is a very complicated conversation that we could be really sciencey about and go on and on forever. But those are some of the basics that I would say, yes, our metabolism does slow down as we age. And there are ways that we can really slow that slowness down, <laughs> if that makes sense. Totally makes sense. I think that's what's something we all would strive for as we do get older. How do we really slow that metabolism from slowing yep. down? So resistance yep. training is one of the ways that help us in, like you said, many ways for our bone density, which is always good mm -hmm. because, you know, that typically goes down as we get older as well. So yep. really having some, you know, working on our muscles sounds like that's really important for many reasons. Yep. It is. Yep. Absolutely. Excellent. Anything else that you think is really important for us to know, and I know, again, this is a really big question, <laughs> to really help us maybe focus on what we can control, what we can do to really help us identify what could be going on so that we can really work optimally? Yeah, I think just knowing that the answers are out there, you know, knowing that that you don't, you're not alone in this and that there are answers. So if you're, if you're reaching a dead end with whoever you're seeing for whatever symptom that you're having, then keep looking because there are, there are practitioners like myself who are really passionate about helping you reach your health goals. And so if you're feeling like, man, the person I see is just like, you know, one word answers and a prescription out the door. Um, there are so many learning resources online, in books, in seeking out other practitioners that can really help empower you and help guide you in, you know, at the beginning, the foundational things that are going to make a huge difference that don't require a pill um, to really bring your body back into balance. And, and you get to feel like yourself again. There, there is no reason that you should be walking around in brain fog and anxiety and feeling like you're fragile, right? Because that's just not your body's uh, greatest capability. And so a lot of times it's just kind of getting out of our own way and learning and shifting our lifestyle so that we can be back to who we're meant to be and so that we can really be out doing the things that we're meant to be and living our purpose in the world. Yeah, and shifting our lifestyle really doesn't have to be a big shift. It could be just small little tweaks that could have huge differences on our health and well-being. Yes. It's amazing. Like I said, there it's the unsexy answer and it requires you to uh, put in some some elbow grease and do some things on your own with with shifting things if, with your daily, you know, day to day habits. But that's where the power is. Right. That's where you're going to get true health, because going back to that cholesterol pill, 
that cholesterol pill is just band-aiding something that underneath is going on that you ultimately have control over. So let me ask you a quick question on this. If I was looking for somebody new, would I be better to look for somebody who ha is under the functional medicine or integrative medicine world? And then how does that work with insurance? If I need to have insurance or not, how does that work typically? Do you know? I know for me, I'm a cash pay only because oftentimes the testing um, is not covered by insurance. So it just depends. I mean, there are integrative practitioners who do take insurance. There's functional medicine that may take insurance as well. So I think it's just kind of doing your due diligence and checking around. I mean, everybody has a different practice model. Um, but yes, to answer your question, people, practitioners who are going to pay more attention to the full picture, the whole body, you know, the mind, body, spirit connection, the whole, the whole, all of the elements that I was talking about are going to be practitioners that are more the integrative model or the functional medicine model versus just the conventional. You might get lucky. You might find you might find a conventional, uh, you know, fit practitioner who has the time and space to spend more time with you and really dig deep into these. But I find often it's uh, it's more the integrative or functional medicine. Yeah, usually the Western medicine is more the drugs and let me get them in and out because it's it, it, because it is insurance versus the functional right. medicine or integrative who really spends the time to really dig deep. Mm -hmm. into really what's wrong with you. Would, would you say that's an accurate statement? Yes, that's absolutely true. And again, you know, not to throw shade on the on the Western practitioners, there's a lot of value there, but it's just it's the way you're trained. It's the protocol. It's the guidelines. It's what drives the bus, kind of what drives the engine is getting people in and out. And, you know, if this, then this type of protocol way of thinking. And so uh, sometimes it's just they don't know. They, that's just how they're trained. That's, you know, and their eyes haven't been open to other ways either. And so, yeah, the, you know, I'm not saying that's to throw shade on, on any Western practitioners. It's just that's kind of the reality. So if you're looking for something deeper, then you may want to look beyond that. Yeah, I certainly didn't mean to throw them under the bus, but that's just oh, no, no, yeah, I just, my experience. As a practitioner, yeah, I just wanted to say that on my end that uh, I get it. Uh, and also I, yeah, for me personally, was I just felt like, man, there's there's just more and I've got to step out of this model to really serve people in a different way. Yeah, makes sense. Well, I really appreciate your time today and your great, valuable insight and in sharing all this knowledge with us. Great. I hope this um, really has helped people take their health into their own hands. And um, yeah, it's all in the effort to help us wake up to the realization that we do have a lot more power to control our health. Yes, we do. And we can control that with which we really want to control. So, you know, helping ourselves be better people, physically, emotionally healthy people is really within our control. Absolutely. Well, my hope for our time together with Krista is that you got value and an idea or two or three or even four that can help you be even more successful personally and professionally. Feel free to share my podcast with others as it can be found in most podcast platforms and in most English speaking countries and of course at accountabilitycoach.com. And if you'd like to get a short daily fix from me, subscribe to the Accountability Minute, which can also be found on most podcast platforms and in most English speaking countries. Want more proven business success resources and tips? Subscribe to my blog at accountabilitycoach.com forward slash blog. And always aim for what you want each and every single day. Until next time, make it a great day.
today and every day. I appreciate you listening.